pieces of eight, pieces of eight. Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory. Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at mountwashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory write this elevation-based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the Higher Summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text FORECAST to 603-356-2137. All right, this is the forecast for Friday, May 19th and Saturday, May uh, 20th. Friday, in the clear under increasingly cloudy skies with a high in the upper 30s. Winds southwest at 30 to 45 miles per hour with gusts up to 60 miles per hour. Wind chill 20 to 30 above. Friday night, in the clear trending towards in and out of the clouds under mostly cloudy skies and chance of rain showers. Upper 30s, southwest winds at 30 to 45 miles per hour with gusts up to 60 miles per hour and uh, wind chill 20 to 30 above. Saturday will be in and out of the clouds, trending towards in the clouds with a chance of rain showers. With a high in the lower 40s, winds southwest at 30 to 45 miles per hour, increasing to 45 to 60 miles per hour with gusts up to 75 miles per hour. Wind chill rising to 25 to 35 above. Alrighty, have a great weekend, everybody. Cruising right along, heading to 200. Yeah. Is there any like anything noteworthy about the number 106? 106. It sounds like a smooth jazz station or something like well, that. You know what? It, 106 <laughs> is like that's a crazy temperature. So I'm sick right now. So oh, that could be my temperature tonight when I go to bed. Oh, that sucks. What do you got going on, like upper respiratory? Uh, I think 
I went to I went down to North Carolina on, over the weekend. I had to fly down and then drive back up with my my lovely middle child. And you know, between going to the airport, being on a plane, hanging around a dorm room for like eight hours to unpack or to pack her up, and then. <laughs> driving home I feel like I just and then also when we got back it was like crazy pollen so we were sleeping with the windows open and oh sure I it's woke up right with now. like a sore throat so I don't know it's probably COVID though huh maybe it was uh, something you caught um, on your side trip into Manhattan <laughs> yeah yeah that was so uh, so Lynn thank God you're here because uh, you need to answer for the state that is Connecticut because I've got issues <laughs> okay, um nice. But separately, yeah, I, driving from North Carolina to, so Stomp, you, you probably saw that. I posted on Facebook, like I, and Lynn, you probably know this better than I do, but like, I don't know that area that well. And I remember like I had to take the bridge that like goes north of the city to avoid the George Washington Bridge. That's all I know. Like someone told me that like, can't go through the George Washington Bridge. So I was like, I know the br- the bridge's name has like some sort of an Italian theme to it so I couldn't remember and I was like and my wife had like the map thing going she's driving I'm in the back seat like I couldn't even see anything because we're so packed in there I had my little cocoon back there and I just put in like add a stop because I was like I'll add a stop and then it'll just do whatever but for some reason I was like it's an Italian name that's all I knew but it's really the Tappan Zee Bridge but it's renamed the Cuomo Bridge so it wouldn't come Mm -hmm. up so somehow I decided I was like well it must be the Veranzano Bridge right (laughs) so I'm I'm in the so for anyone that doesn't know the Veranzano Bridge is like I think that's a bridge you take when you go into like Long Island so you end up coming south of Manhattan so I'm like in the back and and I'm always yelling at my wife because she's constantly getting lost she can't operate like Google Maps and all or Apple Maps and all this stuff so I'm Mr. like navigator so I screw up I I were going over the bridge and I look and I'm like I look to my left and I'm like why the hell is the Statue of Liberty right in front of me and I'm like, Whoops. oh, that's Manhattan. And then I tried to like pretend like everything was cool. And my wife immediately sniffed that out because she's good. She, Mrs. Mike was like, this is the wrong way because she saw like there was all this traffic. Yeah. And I, I basically just had to say like, okay, well, um, oh, yeah, I messed up. And yeah, we have to go on the Upper East Side Highway up through Manhattan. And then we ended up cutting over the Madison Ave Bridge and it added like an extra hour to our... Oh, sure. <laughs> it's never quick through Manhattan. Yeah. So, and I'm never going to live it down. But, but Lynn, then my daughter got hangry and she's screaming and yelling about, I want Starbucks. I want Panera. I want something. Why does Connecticut, <laughs> like, and maybe it's like part of Connecticut, but we're driving through Connecticut and you try to get off the highway and you can't, you get off the highway and then like, there's all this traffic. You can't take a left to get to Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks because it's like, there's a petition and then- you need to turn around and get back on the highway and it takes you 20 minutes to take a left-hand turn to get back. Why is Connecticut, Connecticut? Why is it like that? I don't understand. Listen, I've lived here for 42 years and I still don't understand. So my suggestion would be next time, just drive straight through Connecticut. Like, you know, the rest stops are terrible anyways, if you can even find one. So drive on through. Yeah. Uh, So it was a nightmare. And like, we finally found a Panera, like past Waterbury somewhere, but Connecticut is, and I have so many friends from Connecticut and I apologize team Connecticut that listens to Slasher, but like, I'm never stopping in Connecticut ever again. 
The only good part about the whole <laughs> trip was that way. I avoided the Merritt Parkway by going over the Veranzano Bridge. So that was the one positive. But other than that, it was a nightmare. Yeah. It's a and long I, drive. I even wrote on Facebook, I was like, I seem to have confused the Tappan Z and Veranzano Bridge. And Martin was the first one to respond. And, he, and he, he, I was like, I was like, I'm never going to live this down. And he was like, nor should you. <laughs> anyway. Why were you trying to avoid the Merritt Parkway? I love the Merritt Parkway. I don't know. Oh, well, I wasn't really avoiding it. I just was like, um, we didn't end up going that way. I don't like the Merritt Parkway because you either need to go 90 in the left lane or you get stuck going 50 in the, the right lane. And it's too, it's too much anxiety. I don't need the stress. <laughs> I guess. I guess. I guess. Oh, was this the last college tour or do you have more in the works? Well, this wasn't a tour. This was no. just picking her up. This is her freshman year. Oh, so I she see. ended her okay. freshman year. So yeah, I got more. My other daughter, my youngest one wants to do like the whole mid-Atlantic trip. So she's going to go look at like College of Charleston, <laughs> Coastal Carolina, UNC oh, Wilmington. Um, Time of your life. She's like, I want to be by the beach. I'm like, oh, well, you live by the beach now. What's the problem? Like, you yeah. go to UMass Lowell. Yeah, Salem State College. Just, yeah. just suck it up. Yeah, exactly. But anyway. <laughs> um, all right. So anyway, Lynn Sweezy is here with us. Hello, Lynn. Hello, Mike. Guest Hello. of the Lynn, Lynn is laid up for the next several weeks. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that. She's up to nonsense. But why don't I do the um, the show intro stop or is there anything else sure. we to get to? Let's go all for right. it. So welcome to episode 106 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week we visit one of the most popular mountains in the White Mountains National Forest, Mount Chikora. We've talked about Chikora in the past, but we've never done a deep dive. So get ready to learn everything you need to know about the trails, camping options, safety considerations, and the many legends around this iconic mountain. In addition to the Chikora preview, we welcome Lynn back to the show to share her recent adventures on the Mid-State Trail and to discuss, and to discuss her disastrous slacklining missteps, which has <laughs> sidelined her from hiking for the foreseeable future. Um, we have an update on some people summiting Mount Everest this week. Waterville Valley is going to be hosting a World Cup mogul race. Um, Stomp is going to see if he can get a uh, an invite to that. And then we got more TikTok. Mm. Stomp's going to go back to his hometown of Lynn, the city of Sin, to talk about how Lynn is currently on fire. And he's going to give yes. us a history lesson about it's Lynn Woods. On fire. Yep. REI stores are unionizing. We've got a history segment on Colonel Joseph Whipple of Jefferson, New Hampshire. This guy was a character. We've got gear reviews. Stomp's got a whole new gear review drop that he wants to use. We've got Zealand Road, recent search and rescue news, and we're welcoming a new sponsor this week, Seek the Peak. So lots to cover. Uh, we may be here all night, so get ready. But I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. All right. All right. Very good. Um, so we already did my stupid North Carolina story. We welcomed Lynn. So Stomp, we've got... A new announcement for Slasher merchandise? Yeah. Yeah. You want to, you guys, this is your brainchild. Why don't you guys take it? Yeah. This is my dumb idea, but um, <laughs> Lynn put it together for me. So um, if you haven't been paying attention, there was another car brake situation at Falling Waters. And then I, I'm, I understand that there was some additional car brakes at, at Greeley Pond Trailhead as well. So they're doing the typical mm. route. You know, they go up 93 and then. Um, up 16 and then along the kink is where they'll, they'll hit a lot of these. So I had, 
you know, there's a lot of social media talk. And in the past, I've written on, on my windows with chalk saying that the car's unlocked, no valuables in there. And that's the advice I want to give the listeners is like, if you're worried about it, don't put any valuables in your car. Um, and then just keep your car unlocked. And I think it's a good idea to signal to these idiots that the car is unlocked. Just tell them to come in, take what they want, leave them a couple of nickels, and then they'll move on to some somebody that left their purse in the car. Uh, but our idea was that we're now going to take advantage of um, people's despair by creating merchandise that will help enable you to protect your car from um, window smashers. So we've got some new, um, what are they called, Lynn? Window clings, is that right? Yeah, it's removable vinyl. Got it, so yeah. You so you use it over and over. Yeah, exactly. So it's removable vinyl, um, and it's just got our Slasher logo on it, and then it says... Um, Vehicle unlocked, no valuables, and then it's got our um, our URL to our, our web page. So we're going to have those available for people. Um, I got to put the form together, the Google form, uh, but I'll include that in the show notes and then I'll post it across our social media. So if you want to buy, I think they're pretty cheap. You want to buy a pair for your car, you can put them in the driver's side, the passenger side, and that way you won't get your window smashed this summer and uh, it gives you a little bit of peace of mind while you're out hiking. Yep. Hmm. Good idea, gang. Good idea. It's a good idea, Mike. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we'll do that, and um, it'll give the show a little bit of marketing credibility, and it'll save your windows from getting smashed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Give us some jenga too. Yeah. Exactly. So we're gonna do. <laughs> we, we're gonna sell a pair because I think we want we want them to have two, so they can put it on either side of the window, right? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So you can see them from either way. That's great. Okay. Very good. So um, stay tuned for that. We'll post that across all of our socials. And thank you, Lynn, for helping us with uh, putting that together. Yes, thank you. Um, And then we'll figure out, I don't know what we decided we were going to charge. Like it's basically just um, a small fee, but we got to keep the bank account steady. So we'll, um, we'll post that in the show notes. Yeah. All right, so moving on to the next story I pulled here is um, I found an interesting story in the Boston Globe today about um, a lady by the name of Rebecca Long. She is currently climbing Mount Everest with International Mountain Guides. So Mm -hmm. I was reading her blog, so I'm going to link this in the show notes. It's really interesting. She's got like a 14-part blog about sort of her journey from deciding to climb Mount Everest to the point now where she's actually... Um, she was at base camp at her last blog post and heading up to the high camp. She's already acclimated. She's gone from camp two, halfway up to camp three. They had to turn around because of the weather. She started with five fellow hikers stomp. So this is interesting. So there was five of them. Um, her, like a 40 year old guy, a 27 year old guy, and then two older, older gentlemen, one was a like a sixty year old gentleman, and then a sixty nine year old retired doctor, <coughs> and she's with these five plus the guides, mostly Sherpas, helping them get up and down. Um, and she was doing like they went through the Combo Ice Field, came back through, doing her acclimation climbs, and like about a week ago, she was going from camp what they do is they go from like base camp up to camp one, then back down, then they go base camp up to camp two and then to camp three, and then they'll come back down and acclimate, I think. 
So that's what she was doing. They were heading to Camp 3. They got turned around by the Sherpas because the weather was too difficult, um, and they were waiting for a window to summit anyway. She gets back to Camp 2 with her fellow climbers. The 69-year-old doctor that she was climbing with, she found out later he must he died. Like She didn't give any details yet, but he died up at Camp 2. Um, oh, wow. which is crazy. So he must have had yeah. some sort of altitude sickness or something. Um, hmm. Sad. Which is, yeah, which is really sad. But it's interesting to read it. She was like, you know, I can't give a lot of details, but um, one of the people that she was climbing with was like, I'm done. So he just headed home. But she stayed with the two other climbers back down to base camp. They got word that they had a window for the summit, which is, um, I think, today. So I was looking at IMG's um, updates on their blog and they were doing the summit push as of today. So assuming she didn't run into any problems, uh, Rebecca Long is a lady. She's She hopefully summited today. They had a bunch of pictures and stuff though. So they were heading up there. But it was interesting because what she, what she did after the gentleman died, they came down from camp two back to base camp. And normally that's where you would just hang out and wait for a window. Mm-hmm. She actually went down to a village called uh, Parishi, which is 3,500 feet below Everest Base Camp, to gain some additional oxygen in anticipation of the summit window. And I guess they have like, um, you know, more facilities there, better internet connection, better food, better sleeping arrangements. So she was able to sort of hike down to this Parishi place um, and wait it out. And then she went from there back up to base camp and then. Assuming she's with the IMG crew, she uh, she's on her way to the summit. So it's a really interesting blog. Definitely worth checking out. Other interesting thing about this is that she's with these, she was bonding with these two older guys. They're both gone. Now she's with this 40-year-old guy and a 27-year-old guy. One of them's an Aussie. And, the, and they're basically, their relationship with her is like, they always pick on her. And she finally like went off on him and was like, cut, you know, cut the garbage out. And there's a lot of tension on the in the blog about it, so it was. It just found it interesting. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. I was just looking up the uh, the window, like you had mentioned. Um, it's such a short window. A lot of sites say that um, April is pretty much the end of the window for good weather. So I wonder how the weather is at the moment. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. So now they're they're reporting that, I actually just looked at this, it says that all summit climbers are back in Camp 2. <clears throat> they don't list the names, but, um, and I don't see any pictures of her, but this lady, she looks like she does a lot of like big mountain um, climbing. She didn't have anything. She's got a blog that t- covers like she's done a bunch of stuff down in Ecuador and, but she didn't have anything on her blog about New Hampshire, but she's from the Boston area. So I have to imagine she's, she's probably hikes New Hampshire quite a bit. I would think so. Yeah. Wow, so that's neat. Yeah. But I do think, I think that the um, summit go, is it May? I think it's pretty common for people to summit in May. That I think that's the end of okay. the window for sure. That's pushing it because of the monsoon season. Okay. From what so I understand. Maybe I'm thinking yeah. like late March into April and then. Well, yeah. There's yeah. two, two seasons during, you know, the, the climbing year for Everest and this is the first one. And then in the fall, it's like, you know, I forget what September, October or something like that. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Um, all right. So definitely check that out. I'll put that on our socials and I will include that in the show notes, but I love some good Everest adventures. Me too. 
official. Hopefully she won't get stuck in the conga line. Seriously. But I, it's right? crazy how, um, that's the one thing I will say is like, I think if I was with like a group of five people and one of them died, like, I don't think I would, I would be like, I'm done. I'm going No home. kidding. This is just not yeah. the vibe that I want to be like, I, yeah, I don't know. No, I get it. There are very superstitious uh, people up there too. I, I'm sure the vibe is not a great one. Yeah, yeah. I think that if I was with a group, even if it was with like relative strangers, I mean, you're there for like a month with them, getting to know them. And she was clearly like had some relationship with this guy. So it's just, it's kind of tough to keep your focus on like, okay, I want to achieve this this goal of getting on that that little hunk of land. Right. <laughs> Yeah, one of incredible. these pic- one of these pictures on her blog's really neat. The one that has a single hiker with the headlamp and then you see the clouds coming in. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I like the photo because you so often see that conga line of people. It's rare to just see a single person like this and I, I just really like the photo. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think the the conga line tends to get the tends to get like the most attention, but I, I wonder how common that really is. I mean, my experience with just reading about the stories is that, yeah, it does get crowded up there. If you get two or three um, guide services that are all looking at the same window, but every once in a while, like a, a like a guide service will roll the dice and they'll say like, we're going to go a day early in the hopes that it works out. So if you get on one of those, you know, you're taking a little bit more risk, but you're also can be by yourself. So, mm-hmm. Anyway, but done. on to the next story here, Stomp. So, Ski and Snowboarding Moguls World Cup is coming to Waterville in 2024-2025. So, that's, that's exciting. Yeah, that's great news. That's great. That's a boon for the uh, the area down here, for sure. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Um, yeah, I'll see if I can get us uh, some tickets. <laughs> you should, I mean, you should rent your place out. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Airbnb. Yes. Oh, uh, if we don't get tickets, we'll just have to hike up Mount Tecumseh Trail and sneak over. Oh yeah, that's a good <laughs> I'm idea. sure you can see it from. Well, the we can we can anyway. do the grand we can do the reverse Grand Traverse in the winter <laughs> over there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. So yeah, that's that's good news. So it's ski and snowboarding. So that's pretty awesome. It'd be, really be an exciting event to watch. Do they do, do they, is it snowboarding on moguls or is it like a half pipe type of thing? I believe it's mogul competition for snowboards and skis. Really? Yeah. Yeah. World, world cup in that event. Well, yeah. That looks so hard. Yeah. Amazing. Exciting. Yes. I mean, moguls are tough on a board, but man, the the world-class boarders are unbelievable at it. Yeah. Yeah, well, that'll be exciting to check out. Yeah. All right. Um, so it's just good to see that like this type of stuff is coming to New Hampshire because um, I don't feel like our mountains get as much love for skiing as they should. Right. All right. Um, next up, Stomp, we want to send a reminder out. We've talked about this in a number of shows, but ticks are back mm. with a vengeance. Uh, this Super. is the time of the year for ticks. I picked a tick off of me earlier this week, a big one, so... Yeah, I've had several this week. Um, the, there's a link here um, that you can read about somebody in Mass, I believe, that, oh, New York, that walked out of their house and had 40 ticks on them. Um, so I did some research, and in Massachusetts, there's a company called tickreport.com where you can send a tick if you get bit. And uh, it's really simple, self explanatory. Check it out mm-hmm. um, just to find out if there's anything, you know, 
disease-wise with the tick that bit you. In Maine, they offer free testing and we'll give that link also. I did not find free testing in New Hampshire, but there is a resource that will give you a link for uh, for New Hampshire residents that just gives you a ton of information about ticks and you know uh, prevention and treatment and all kinds of stuff. So. Yeah. You know what I found really interesting about this, this site stomp is like you, oh, I mean, conventional wisdom, you're like, okay, yeah, it's like April and May are the busy season for ticks, but um, they see a spike in tests with, um, and it's more adult. So I think I have a theory on this, but they see a spike in tests from like late October into uh, early November and typically, I think the early, the early season, May to June or, or April to May, they have like the nymphs, which are the really small ones. Then I think these these ticks get like bigger over the season, and then they become easier to spot on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you see these bigger ticks that come around. But the bigger ticks are almost always. It seems like they don't always test positive for the Borrelia. Um virus or whatever that is so mm-hmm. um but it is interesting too like it's it looks like about um maybe one in four ticks actually has that bad virus on it that that can cause the issues so wow. sure it's not the end of the world if you get a tick bite um you know it's a one in four chance that they're going to have the bad juice in them right yeah not to be messed with nope not at all um, and then it's like they also have location of where these ticks are found. Okay. So 15% in the head, um, 9% in the stomach, 11% in the back. And then it looks like um, upper leg is another popular spot. And where's the other one? Lower leg, yeah. Armpit's mm-hmm. not as not as popular. They don't have belly button. So, <laughs> should I throw in the sound effects? <laughs> oh wait, the, there's a groin. Six percent in the groin stuff. <laughs> oh, yummy. <laughs> not good. And then the age breakdown is interesting. So, like little kids, um, twelve and under tend to get a lot of them, and then like old people. <laughs> So it's like huh. little kids and old people, like they, uh, they get them a lot, but there's four, the 40 to 64 age group is pretty heavy too. Um, one thing I want to remind listeners is that I think, you know, Stomp's talked about this a lot around like staying out of tall grass that's got like sun beating down on it. And then uh, I've talked about sort of staying on the trails and staying on the rocks. But one thing as a reminder, I see this happen a lot is a lot of people will like drop their backpacks and they'll just toss them off to the side of the trail or they'll just put them in, um, you know, they'll just throw them off, off to the side or whatever and, and like brush or whatever. Don't do that with your backpack. Make sure that you try to like put your backpack in like just plain dirt or something. That's not going to be obvious that it's going to have a lot of ticks in it because then you, you pick up ticks on your backpack and then you put it on your back and then they're going to be right in your head. Yeah, true. Yeah. I had a couple on my leg the other day. I've been wearing shorts a little more often and I actually felt it crawling on my leg, which yeah. is good. Yeah. Because sometimes you just don't even feel them. Yeah. I had the same thing. I felt it and I, I was like, something, I feel something. And I didn't see it. And then I felt it again. And it was like in the back of my thigh crawling up. And it was a big one. Uh, but it was not, it was crawling. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
Lynn is creeping out right now. Oh, I'm so yeah. creeped out. I've had Lyme disease, and it was the sickest I've ever been. So I don't, I don't take mm. any chances. I use permethrin every year. Do everything. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I stomp. You take a shot of permethrin every time you uh, <laughs> you leave for a hike. <laughs> well, I think I mentioned it. I've, I've been using that picaridin stuff, which is more for mosquitoes, but it does list ticks as a preventative. Oh, um, as the so topical. I've been spraying that. Mm-hmm. It's a spray. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Anyway, excellent. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Well, speaking of Lynn, we got a store breaking news. We got Lynn Woods dun, dun, is on dun, dun, fire. Dun, dun, dun. And I have yeah. nothing to do with this segment. This is all you. Yeah, I, I want to talk about this a bit. Lynn Woods, I'm from Lynn. I grew up in Lynn, um, went to high school there. I spent many, many years in Lynn Woods, biking, running, you know, you name it, cross country skiing. It's one of the most amazing places. And I'm going to talk about it briefly just to give listeners a a better idea. Linwoods is the one place I would actually leave New Hampshire for to spend a day hiking. It's just a gem, absolute gem. So over the last several days, there have been eight fires in the woods. And uh, the latest update today is that they were intentionally set. It looks like arson now. So the fires, the brush fires, uh, spread over to Breakheart and over to the other, you know, the Saugus side of um, the city in the area. Um, so they're still dealing with that and uh, trying to get it under control. But apparently, it looks like arson. And honestly, it's happened before. I, this is not new for Linwoods, but it's a shame. That's a big chunk of uh, land and acreage um, in the area. So that's too I don't bad. Know. Yeah, it's a shame. But um, just for listeners, Lynn Woods is absolutely amazing. I'm going to give you a little bit of information about it. I I swear to God, it's one of the best places you can go for hiking, um, running in particular for trails. It's approximately 2,200 acres, and it was founded in 1881. The park encompasses nearly one-fifth of the entire land of Lynn and represents a significant natural watershed. It has two or three uh, reservoirs for natural water. Um, it is a historic place. It was um, registered as a historic place in 1996. And uh, it, again, it dates back to like the 1840s. Um, it's located in the northwestern part of Lynn. And it's north of Boston by like half an hour or so, depending on the traffic. There's a great spot called Dungeon Rock, which became a tourist attraction in the 1850s. Dungeon Rock is neat. Apparently, the history is there was some pirate, apparently, that was using, um, I don't know, some occultics or spiritual methods to find gold. So he started digging in this location and the information he was getting was taking him down and just almost like a uh, switchback underground. So when you go to this thing, you can actually go a couple hundred feet underground and it just zigzags all over the place until it eventually just uh, bottoms out to water and you can't go any further. But it's a really neat place. There's a lot of history in the area. Apparently there's gold buried at the bottom of this thing. That's that's the legend. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's really neat. Um so let's see. In the 1860s, um, there were there were efforts led to organize and conserve the woodlands around the area. And uh, in 1881, the trustees for the Free Public Forest were established to oversee the area. And um, and then it was folded into a whole other Lynn Parks Department in 1889. And currently today, again, there are 2,200 acres, which is pretty massive. It's the second largest municipal park in the nation. 
if you can imagine. And the views are just stunning. There's a main entrance, which is Walnut Street to Pennybrook Road in Lynn, if anybody wants to check this out. And then the eastern entrance, which is the one I usually took, which is um, from Linfield side. So you take Linfield Street, which is right off of Route 129, and that'll get you right into the main entrance. Uh, There are park rangers, so, I mean, it's relatively safe. Back in the day, it was a different story, but it's totally experienced a beautiful renaissance now. It's, It's safe and... It's awesome. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. There are 10 miles of gravel fire roads and 30 miles of trails, hiking trails. 30 miles of hiking trails. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Um, I had mentioned Dungeon Rock. Um, the highest elevation is 285 feet. And at the, at the high point of the woods, there is a stone tower, which is built... Oh, I don't know. I forget exactly when, but you can actually climb up to the top of it and get a 360 view of Boston and the North Shore and the, the ocean. And then nearby to that, there's another steel tower. Uh, it's it's amazing. A rose garden at the main entrance that hosts concerts throughout the summer. An amphitheater. There are some ancient wolf pits that are there, which um, the locals believe was used to capture um, animals back in the day. Um and then last but not least, they have summer walks, and then they also have a cross-country race series, which has been going on for 30 years, and it meets weekly. They're held Wednesdays during June, July, and August. They do 10-mile relays. They do shorter ones for two to three miles, up to four to eight miles, and they, they say it's you know moderately challenging with a lot of hills and some off-trail stuff. So do yourself a favor, get a map and go. It's just the best place around. And there is another website. Um, the trustee organization is called Friends of Lynn Woods and that's lynnwoods.org, L-Y-N-N woods.org. Lynn ain't as bad as you think it is. Well, how, um, I'm curious, Tom, from your perspective, like how, is it pretty safe in there? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. It, it's so populated now. There's always somebody that you'll pass that's biking or running. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to be hanging out in there at night when the ranges aren't hanging around, but during the daylight hours, you're fine. It used to be just a reservation that wasn't patrolled necessarily. So you could go in there and find, I'm talking like back in the eighties, uh, you could find like cars that were stolen and abandoned and things like that. But now they have it gated and patrolled. And uh, again, the rangers are doing a great job. So very interesting. The mountain biking top tier, top tier. Excellent, excellent mountain biking. Yeah, I see them um, mountain biking when I'm on Route 1, like that, the Breakheart section in Saunders. Sure. So, yeah. Um, Neat place. Yeah, I'm surprised I've never been in there. I think I did go in there one time. I might have gone to like a party when I was in high school in the woods somewhere. <laughs> but that's about it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, check out Lynn Woods and send us some pictures so we can put them on our Instagram page. Yeah. All right. So we got some breaking Daphne news. Oh my God. I'm going to, I've been spending a lot of time talking here. So I'm going to do this as quick as it happened. Last Sunday, Sunday morning, I walked downstairs. It's like 630 in the morning. I opened the back slider. I opened the door so Daphne can go out onto the deck and have some fun out there. I usually let her do that. I walk over to the coffee. I make a coffee. I turn around. Daphne's in the living room with a black thing about the size of a roll of quarters in her mouth. She drops it. She starts batting it around. I walk over there as fast as possible. I shoo her away and I look down and it's a hummingbird. 
I cannot oh. believe it. She she went out. She captured a hummingbird in her mouth. I don't know how she did it. So I bat the bird, the hummingbird, out of her mouth, and it's laying on the rug. Like it's having a seizure, like, oh my God, what just happened? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Oh, here she is now, the little stinker. So I, I bat it out of her mouth and I pick it up with like a Tupperware lid and I bring it out onto the deck and I throw it up into the sky and it wakes up and flies off. I could not believe it. It was like the fastest, craziest 30 seconds I've ever experienced. <laughs> so how, how did Daphne, did Daphne go outside and get this hummingbird? Yeah, she she goes onto the deck and it's an elevated deck, so she goes out there. It's like her playground, you know. She's out there all the time. She loves it. She doesn't try uh, to escape. She doesn't. She hasn't figured that out yet, and I don't think she will. We haven't had a problem with the other cats that have done that as well. Um, so yeah, we're not too worried about that. Well, <laughs> what a crazy moment! Daphne, Literally hunting. Wow. It was like over in thirty seconds. It was just. Weird, but I was shocked that the hummingbird survived. Well, that's good. And what's the deal with the kitten now? How much longer do you have to wait before oh, Mrs. Stomp's kitten? And have you good. picked a name? No, no, no. Yeah, no name yet. We're still looking for a name, but um, I think we have to wait another five weeks or four weeks um, before the kitten's ready. Still a ways to go. But uh, yeah, any any ideas? Let me know. We're, we're struggling to figure out a name. I got nothing. What is it? It's Daphne and what's your other cat's name? Luna. Daphne and Luna. Yeah. They're both tuxedos. And this one is like a, um, it's, I forget the word, but it's a female ginger, which is a very rare cat to find. And uh, this, they were twins. So somebody else took a nut, took the other one or it's accounted for. And then we got the other, the second one. Hmm. So it's pretty neat. Well, you got, so you got Daphne, which is a Scooby-Doo name, and then you right. have Luna, Luna, which is like Luna Lovegood from Harry Potter, which is like a witch name. So you do have like a Halloween sort of like ghost kind of vibe, vibe going, going on there. So we need to pick a, a name that's like a, a witch kind of name or a, like a- Like a, Hocus Pocus, something from that movie. I was just going to say, who's the Hocus Pocus witch? Yeah. Well, is, it a, is it a boy or a girl cat? It's a female. Oh. I was going to say Casper maybe, but maybe Wednesday. Wednesday's a great idea. I like that. Yeah. Right? No, I like that a lot. That's pretty cool. I run that by uh, Mrs. Stomp. Yeah, yeah. Don't tell her I said it because then she'll be like, no, but just get her reaction. (laughs) Call her Thursday to be different. Yeah, I could see like like the Daphne Luna Wednesday. Yeah. What would would the nickname be though? Wenny. Wenny. Like Wenny Cooper. Wendy. When? Hey, when? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I like it. All right. Well, it's just a suggestion off the top of my head. All right. So next, so keep us updated. The whole the whole listening audience is is riveted by the 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 kitten. Can't wait. Um, next up, so uh, picked up this new story again um, over the local Boston area. So REI has uh, voted to unionize their Boston store. So I guess they. I guess they vote store to store. I don't know why they do that. I would think that if I was like a union organizer, like I'd rather try to pull. They must like feel like it's easier to do it store by store to sell their message versus like doing it at a larger scale. But um, the Boston store voted like it was like 
42 people to like four and then 25 like against it or whatever. So, uh, but REI is unionized in Boston. And then I think they had like another store in Illinois that was unionized as well. Um, I don't really know whether this is good or bad. I think, Stomp, you had pulled some sort of benefit info. It sounds like REI has got pretty good benefits for its employees already. And my Mm. my perspective on this, you know, I've got a background in HR is that typically – these companies, when they give each, you know, they, they don't want to have one HR program for union workers and one for non-union workers because the administrative cost of maintaining two benefits programs is ridiculous. So I think, I don't know how much of an impact it'll be on the benefits specifically, but it can probably only benefit the non-union workers if the union gets big enough where they start negotiating uh, different benefits and you know, I really don't know whether or not we'll see an impact on the cost of gear when we go to REI. But oh yeah, that was my question. Yeah. I mean, that's the obvious thing that you could see was a jump in prices, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, we've seen inflation pretty bad over the last couple of years anyway, so it's going to be tough to judge whether it's just like the inflation that we're dealing with uh, for all goods or if it's if it's it is specific to. The store, but I mean, I, I don't know yeah. a lot about REI. I know a couple of people that work there, and my impression is is that they treat their workers really good. And it seems like, um, you know, a lot of the retail workers in the outdoor space do tend to be treated pretty well. I mean, I think EMS is a good example of that. So keep an eye on it. Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? Next up, I have a random history segment here that I pulled together. I found this interesting. So I was doing some digging and I was looking up a lady by the name of Granny Stallbird. So Granny Stallbird is a is a historical marker for Granny Stallbird in Jefferson, New Hampshire, I believe. Um, and her real name was Deborah Vickers and she was a early settler uh, up in Jefferson, New Hampshire, and she worked for this gentleman by the name of Colonel Joseph Whipple. And Colonel Joseph Whipple has a mountain named after him that doesn't have any trails to its stomp. So I thought this would be interesting to you. The summit is like to the um, northwest, I think, of Wombach. So hmm. um, it's something we got to take a look at and see if we can uh, maybe bushwhack over there someday but that'd be cool but granny stallbird i'll tell her story and then i'll talk about colonel whipple so granny stallbird (laughs) her name was um like i said deborah vickers she worked for colonel joseph whipple uh, this guy was notoriously cheap, so she worked for him for as a maid for I think like 18 months. He didn't pay her. She, he finally paid her in continental currency, which unbeknownst to Deborah or, or Granny Stallbird was worthless at the time. So she had gone down to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, got married, guy named Stallbird. They came back up. Um, Deborah basically was like, hey, you screwed me over. Give me my money. Colonel Whipple was like, oh, I don't have the, I'm not going to give you the money, but I'll give you 50 acres of land and you can work that land. So he gave her the crappiest land he could, he, he had. The husband got involved and was like, no, you gave my wife crappy land. So he finally was like, all right, I'll give you better land. Um, 
eventually Granny Stallbird became the region's sort of female medicine expert. So she learned healing and herbalism. Uh, eventually, you know, she had five kids, but she was known throughout the Jefferson region as like the go-to person for any uh, medical stuff. So I thought that was pretty good. Hmm. That's neat. Yeah. And then uh, Colonel Joseph Whipple, uh, like I said, there's a mountain called Mount Joseph Whipple that was named in 1986. Um, the bill was signed that applied the name to a peak in Jefferson. It's situated on the western slope of Mount Star King in the Pliny Range. And Charles and Marie Bond were nice enough to write a uh, sort of a how and why it got its name. So I'll, I'll put this in the show notes. Uh, but this guy, Joseph Whipple, was quite a character. So uh, not well known, uh, but he was a major participant in the formation and settlement of uh, the North Country. Uh, like I said, the peak was named after him in 1986. Um, and then the Geographic Names Board unanimously approved the name for the mountain in 2002. So it's official. Um, so this guy, Whipple, was born in 1738 in Kittery, Maine. Um, he was the youngest of five. He was educated in the counting room of Nathaniel Carter, who was a well-known merchant in my neck of the woods, Newburyport, Massachusetts. Uh, and he eventually established himself in Portsmouth in a company with his brother. Um, so they were... Um, they were connected to the mercantile business um, until the commencement of the Revolutionary War. During the war, Whipple served as a custom officer in Portsmouth and was given the rank of colonel in 1784, and he commanded a regiment of the New Hampshire militia. Eventually, he was appointed the customs collector for New Hampshire and um, resided in a house that still stands in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, he also represented the Coos District in the legislature from 1776 to 1783. Um, the guy was a successful businessman, and um, eventually he passed away in the 1800s. Uh, he was uh, quite, a, quite a property owner, owned land in Kittery, stock and bridges, a turnpike, um, and a mansion and various other properties in Portsmouth and thousands of acres of land in Jefferson, Bethlehem, Bretton Woods, and Colebrook. Mm -hmm. um, so this guy, he was smart. He, right after the notch was opened up uh, and discovered by uh, the explorers Sawyer and Nash in 1772, Whipple purchased title to unsold Royal Grant parcels that were forfeited for unpaid taxes, and then he also purchased land from other lot owners. He eventually moved, um, or he eventually owned the entire town of what was known as Dartmouth. Uh, Dartmouth actually later became Jefferson, which is interesting. So there was two Dartmouths. Uh, eventually they renamed it to, uh, to Jefferson. He bought the whole town of Jefferson for the equivalent of $4,200. No, oh, wow. it's a pretty good, good, nice deal. Yeah, pretty good, uh, pretty good deal. Um, he was pretty far away from the North Country in some respects, so he appointed James Height of Jefferson as his resident supervisor to oversee his various interests. So, um, does that name sound familiar? Stop. It sure does. Yeah, yep. Mount Height. Correct. Yep. So, in the yep. Carter Range, we've we've got um, a gentleman by the name of. Uh, James Height that has a has a summit named after him. So uh, folklore in the North Country has a number of references to Whipple. 
Um, every 19th century guide in history of the region tells a variety of uh, a variation of the story of Nancy, which we've covered here before. Um, she was a housemaid on Whipple's farm in Dartmouth. She was robbed by a young man who allegedly wooed her and absconded with her savings. She attempted to pursue the scoundrel on foot in winter through Crawford Notch. Eventually, searchers found her body on the bank of a stream, which is now called Nancy Brook, several miles south of the Notch. Mm-hmm. So wow. that's one connection. Um, it, and then it goes on to talk about Deborah Vicker, who, again, uh, Granny Stallbird, the first white woman to pass through the notch. She was under Whipple's employment. She complained that the continental dollars he paid her as her first year's wages were worthless. Whipple eventually gave her 50 acres of land, and her fiancé, Richard Stallbird, looked at the swampy tract and demanded that the colonel give her a better parcel. She eventually settled the land in what's known as Lot Tent Range 6, adjacent to the Wombat Golf Course. So when you park uh, at the Wombat Golf Course to hike up to Mount Starking and Wombat, it's in that area there. It's now occupied by what's known as the Applebrook Inn. Later years, Granny Stallbird, as she became known, was famous for her medical practice through the North Country. Um, Whipple owned a farm which stood near the confluence of Millbrook and the Israel River, where magnificent views of the presidential and Pliny Range spread across Jefferson Meadows. Um, at one point, he did get raided by Indians. They got, went into his house. He um, he was basically attacked by these Indians. He said that um, he needed to go to the bathroom. They let him go to the bathroom. He climbed out the window, ran down the street, got some local settlers, and they went in to uh, basically attack the the Indians that had come, and the Indians eventually retreated in a panic. Um, mm-hmm. Whipple, so again, complicated history with slavery here. We'll talk about this a little bit. Uh, many wealthy men at that time, Whipple was no no different. He owned a slave. After the revolution, when New Hampshire stopped taxing slaves as property, Whipple granted his slave, Koofy, his freedom. In the U.S. Census of 1790, Koofy Whipple was listed as a free non-white resident of Portsmouth. He remained in the colonel's employ and raised a large family. Uh, in 1796, Whipple deeded Cuffy Whipple 50 acres in Jefferson and Lot 15, Range 11, near where U.S. Route 2 passes Priscilla Brook. That deed, um, in all profitability, made Cuffy the first black property owner in the North Country. Um, Whipple was also involved in another footnote um, related to slavery. Uh, in 1796, a slave named Oni Judge, who was a property of Martha Washington, ran from the president's residence in Philadelphia and found her way to Portsmouth. When Washington learned of her whereabouts, he asked Secretary of Treasury Oliver Walcott to arrange for her return. Walcott went to Whipple. Um, Whipple interviewed Oni, uh, the slave, to find out more details. And after a cautious examination, it appeared to him that she um, had not been decoyed away by a Frenchman, um, as was told by like the president, but that um, she wanted her freedom. So Whipple basically ignored the um, the request and Oni went on to marry a sailor by the name of John Staines and they had several children and died in old age in Greenland, New Hampshire as a free woman. Um, nice. Whipple populated the North Country. He gave 50 acre parcels to pioneers. He then offered to sell them the other half of a 100 acre lot once they were settled. Uh, he built a 
17, a sawmill in 1780. He, um, I want to talk about the roads that he built here, Stomp, because you're going to be blown away by this. All right, so sure. um, he created a turnpike uh, in 1804, the road cost about $18,000 and ran 14 miles from Lancaster's town line to the 10th New Hampshire Turnpike, which is Route 302 at the Notch. Yeah. Little has changed in 190 years. The Turnpike is still a dirt road that runs from Route 2 in Riverton to Route 115A in the Meadows on to Route 115. From there, it's known as Cherry Mountain Road to its terminus near Bretton Woods Ski Area. So all of those okay. roads that you snowmobile on stop, this guy built years ago. Yeah, that's really neat. Yeah. Uh-huh. So anyway, there's a whole bunch of other stuff here, but he, you know, he died in 1816 and uh, left quite a legacy. So complicated guy again, owned slaves but helped free slaves. Did a lot of development, took advantage of some people, but also helped a lot of people. So history's complicated, and it's not as easy as just like good and bad all the time. So that's why I thought oh, the story was really interesting. <clears throat> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Mr. Whipple. Colonel Whipple. <laughs> so, I love it. Yeah. So that's a history segment. And then Stomp, this is your big moment here. We get to use your your brand new slasher gear drop. dun da da Are you ready for Slasher's Gear Review? People have great gear websites, and it's next to impossible to do gear reviews on a podcast, but there are sometimes I think we may be able to use this, and I found just the perfect thing. And I will provide the link, but I found a product which is... Uh, hiker's hidden suspenders for untucked, well, it says men, but I think you could probably use it if you're a woman as well. So there are suspenders that go inside under your shirt and it is the funniest damn thing I've ever seen. There's a picture of this like somewhat overweight middle-aged gentleman and he's lifting up his shirt, showing his belly and he's, this is like tacky nylon strap coming down towards his belt and uh, it's made by the original Hikers Company, and it's made out of polyester, and uh, it's just beautiful. And it comes with a, a sizing and fitting guide, and uh, it's very simple. You just have to grab your tape measure, measure from the top of the belt loop to the center of your button. And it's not a belly button, but the button of your pants. So, What is this guy hooking on to? <laughs> It's so great. It's the tackiest thing I've ever seen. I can't see this. (laughs) Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. So I've been known to wear suspenders every now and then, but boy, these are looking good. (laughs) Well, you know what I've been, I've moved to, yeah, this is interesting song, but I've been, I've been moving more and more towards now that I have the fast pack um, with the, with the shoulder pockets. Like I don't yeah. need shorts with pockets anymore, so I do like the Marmont um, shorts that are like the the mountain shorts. But sure. you do need a belt with those, and sometimes the belt gets irritating. Uh, but more and more, I've been going to a drawstring with no pockets. I just going with like light runner running shorts for hiking, and then oh sure, that's, that's comfortable it. I don't too. need pockets anymore. Yeah, that's great. 
So it's just drawstring. So that's I th- I like that a lot better. But like, yeah, I guess I don't know. This thing yeah. is like horrendous. You've seen my red suspenders, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I think I busted those out once. Oh yeah, yeah. I you had those suspenders. when I finished my um, my list. You wore those. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're super tacky, but I love them. Yeah. Anyway, there you go, people. Spend your money wisely on some gear. And the, the the new tagline for this segment here that we'll use every now and then is, because everyone does it better than we do, but no one does it like we do. <laughs> I thought of that. All right. I'll you like that? To, I'll look forward to hearing that. But I was going to give a breakdown of my gear stuff, but I think we'll, we'll punt that to the next show because uh, we're, okay. we're running a little long here. Sure. Hey, what's that sound? It must be time for the pop culture segment with Mike and Stump. So Alex Harno was back at it again. I haven't looked at this link, so you're going to need to tell me what's going on. Yeah, yeah. He has a new um, short film. It's 35 minutes, and it's called The Hurt. And apparently he just did the Red Rock Range, which is in... Las Vegas and it's um, a fairly jagged peak. It's he ran, uh, scrambled and free soloed for 32 hours straight, and it was approximately 35 miles, 150 free solo pitches. So this dude has not given up on this free solo thing. And there is a a brief little video on YouTube that captures you know like two or three minutes of it. It's hardcore. He he just crushed this thing. So check it out. It's called The Hurt. I think it may be a purchase to watch it, but it looks awesome. And it, uh, he covered like 25,000 elevation gain. Unbelievable. And uh, yeah, I just discovered this. I've been doing a lot of research on this stuff again recently. Like Dean Potter died eight years ago. He was he was another free soloist, but he actually died surprisingly by um, a uh, wingsuit accident, if I remember correctly. But uh I don't know. I get nervous seeing Alex doing this stuff again. You know, he's got his family. He has a child now. I think he would have rolled it back a bit, but nope. Yeah, I know they live in Vegas, so that's sort yeah. of his home territory, so he probably knows it inside out. Yeah. He's just superhuman. They did some uh, yeah. testing, I think I, I read on his amygdala, and he doesn't process fear the same way that most humans do, that there's a little bit of a... A difference in in the the function there. So I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So he has less fear. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, or none, perhaps. Right. Yeah, yeah. Captain Spock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a little. <laughs> yeah, something's different about him. But uh, yeah, for good sure. for him. I hope he just takes it a little easy. I mean, when you got a kid, it's it's a different equation than when. He was, I think his, his girlfriend, wife now, even at the time was sort of like, all right, I, I don't know if I signed up for this, but I don't think I like it. So I yeah. don't know if he's going to be able to do those big rock walls again, but somebody else will come along. Oh, sure. Yeah. No doubt about it. But um, yeah, moving on briefly, just, I, there was a one notable thing I saw this week and it was a um, David Bowie uh, documentary 
He's always been fascinating to me. I always appreciated his musicianship, but it's Moonage Daydream on Netflix. Two hours long. First half was sort of a little odd, just getting back into his, his history and origin. But the second half, as an artist, or any, for anybody that's an artist, a podcaster, brewer, whatever your medium is, it's really inspiring. And I think you should watch that second half. And um, it, basically, I'll leave you with a quote. He, he goes, if you feel safe in the area that you're working in, meaning your genre or medium, you're not working in the right area. Always go a little further in the water than you feel you're capable of being in. Go a little bit out of your depth. And when you don't feel that you're your feet are quite touching the bottom, that's when you're in the right place to do something exciting. And I think anybody can apply that to their lives. Like even this podcast, like let's not let it get stale. Let's push it a little bit further all the time. So anyway, super inspiring documentary. I was fascinated. Uh, great, great artist. So it's it's a documentary about Bowie. It's not concert footage because I saw it and I was like, oh, is it concert footage? I didn't know what it was. It's a mixture of everything: interviews, uh, his personal writings, him just. Um, I mean, he seemed like the first artist to to really nab on to the whole reality thing, reality TV, because it seemed like every aspect of his life was covered. When you watch it, you're like, was is this guy on film constantly or what? Yeah. Um, but a lot of it was his his artistic ideas he was trying to capture very visual and just beautiful imagery so it's very cool this may be an unpopular opinion and i think probably people will you may give the shame drop here but i actually think that his like let's dance china doll early Mm. 80s commercial stuff that's my favorite stuff for bowie i love that Uh, I, i agree no, hands down. I think he goes, they go into that metamorphosis and um, he disappeared for quite a while, then came back and had a renaissance and it goes into that whole experience. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Great stuff. But you're right. That that era was just beautiful pop music. Yeah. yeah it was great. But okay, yeah. Stomp. So we're welcoming our new sponsor here. Yeah, we're so excited. Mount Washington Observatory obviously um, has joined on to give us the forecast every week and to share that information. And now they're using the platform to get some more information out for one of their biggest fundraising events of the year, and it's Seek the Peak. So Seek the Peak returns this summer with the classic Mount Washington Hikeathon and the annual event. Uh, it's an annual gathering of New Hampshire's hiking community uh, for the observatory. It's their largest annual fundraiser. Hikers raise funds, earn gear, and celebrate at our Apre Hike Party on Saturday, July 15th with live music, food trucks, epic gear raffle, beer garden, vendors, and people who care deeply about the trails and an inclusive hiking community. It all takes place at the base of the Mount Washington Auto Road. And um, our hike and make friends option supports all ability levels, pairing hikers with similar goals for a trek that's right for you. All hikers are welcome to help raise funds for the observatory's summit weather station and services like the twice-a-day higher summits forecast, educational programs, and research in the White Mountains. Seek the Peak is sponsored by the Great Glen Trails and Eastern Mountain Sports. Learn more and register to hike at seekthepeak.org. Excellent. Excellent. So great organization and a great day out on the mountain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What do we have here? We have beer talk. Nobody's drinking beer except me. I do have a beer. 
Oh, it might jump in the gun. Eh, that's okay. I'll what talk about, about my beer first. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Because I'm thirsty. I am drinking. So, so here's the thing. You've lost like 15 pounds. I've actually lost three. Okay. And I'm close to losing my Clydesdale status. So that's why I'm having this beer tonight. I don't want to lose that status. Yeah. So I'm, I'm having a Foley Brothers Brewing uh, from Brandon, Vermont. And uh, it's called Pieces of Eight, and it's an Imperial IPA. I don't know what that is, but it's Imperial. So let's uh, check it out. Pieces of Eight, isn't that like a pirate thing? Uh, it could be. I'm not really sure. Uh, it doesn't really say, but it could be. They were established in 2012 uh, in Vermont. I don't think there were any pirates then, but maybe they're referring to pirate culture. I don't know. I know that that was like a song in um, Captain Feathersword from the Wiggles used to sing that song, Pieces of Eight. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, What ha- actually what it was is it was like Captain Feathersword had a bird named Cocky, and he would sing a song, and then the, the bird would say, uh, Pieces of Eight, Pieces of Eight. So, okay. I don't know. That's yeah, I'm sure you're right. Yeah. You know the Wiggles, right? You know what I'm talking about? The Wiggles? Those, of course. The, those groups from, the guys from Australia? Yeah, they were super annoying. That was oh, a yeah. tough one to watch with the kids. Oh, we, we went to the concert. We brought the kids to the Wiggles <laughs> concert. So, and actually, I like the songs, but uh, I also like David funny. Bowie's like 80s commercial sellout. So, who knows if I'm good. So. Uh, <laughs> Some people banned books. Funny. I banned the Wiggles. Oh, you did? And Barney. Those were banned. I had, um, I banned the, um, those like colorful blobs on PBS. I forget what those are. Teletubbies? Yeah, Teletubbies. Jinx. Yeah, we didn't do, yeah, we yep. didn't do those. I like Fireman Sam. Fireman Sam Fireman was good. Sam. And um, who's the little bald baby there? The little bald kid that was always complaining. I have no idea. Rugrats? Doesn't no, ring a bell. Not the Rugrats. It's, uh, I forget. Anyway, let's let's get out of this zone. Our yeah, kids are let's old do that. now. Um, we have so, a, we have Lynn, you don't, you don't drink, and I'm not drinking, so we have nothing to add to this yet. But I have like another month, and then I'm going to start rocking the beers again. So I you're apologize. Gonna, you're going to raid the uh, beer fridge? Uh, yeah, definitely. I may be down to my goal weight if the sickness keeps up. <laughs> another five wow. pounds to go. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Well, don't get dehydrated. Yeah, I won't um, get my water. But I, I just want to backtrack. We have one donation. It literally just came in about 20 minutes ago. Okay. So the, check this out. This is really neat. Uh, Sarah bought five coffees and she writes, oh my God, this donation is so long overdue. Please make subscription a po- subscriptions possible so that disorganized folks like me don't forget to support you guys. Still my fave podcast. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much. And we will, we'll look into that because it is a great idea. Sure. Yeah, that would be almost like a Patreon thing. But I think the Buy Me A Coffee platform does have a subscription option. But uh, we'll do some research, Sarah. But yeah. again, thank you for the donation. It helps out tremendously. Yes, appreciate it. Appreciate yeah. it. Um, and then Stomp, so no beer for me or Lynn. And then um, recent hikes, I haven't done anything because I've been dealing with like kids stuff I'm looking at Saturday but then it looks like the weather may be crappy so I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get out so uh, I may be like maybe going on a month with no hikes here but what do you got Stomp? Shame Shame Man 
Shame. Shame. Shame dropped twice on the show. I can't get over this. Um, Mrs. Stomp and I did Zealand um, Road. We went up. The road opened, I guess, on, on the 12th of May. So we were psyched. So we decided last minute to do Middle Sugarloaf. Um, and it was that weekend where Mount Washington was experiencing those hurricane gale force winds. And at the height of, what, 2,000 feet is Middle Sugarloaf, somewhere around there? Yep. It was wild. So it really showed me that the Mount Washington Observatory forecast is like right on the money. It was pretty neat to experience having read that and then uh, having experienced it. And um, just so people know, Zealand is awesome. It's it's two miles east of where 302 intersects with Route 3. Um, the road itself is three and a half miles long, but there are so many things you can get from there. You can get to the Zealand Trail and head into the Pemi towards uh, Zealand, Mount Geo and the Pemi Wilderness. Um, you've got Mount Hale, Zealand Falls Hut, where naked people climb on the hut occasionally and get in trouble. You've got Z Cliff and Whitewall Mountain. So check it out, Zealand Road. It's opened. And also, yeah, Sawyer River Road is open as well. So that's all good news. Yeah, yeah. You can get down to Kerrigan now. So that's a good sign. And I feel yeah. like... Um I think I read somewhere else. I thought I sent you guys this, but I think that, um, yeah, actually I can't remember. I think things are like a week ahead of time. Like I think most roads are going to be opened up like right before Memorial Day, it seems like. Probably. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, How about you, Lynn? So recently I did a little through hike on the, I won't even call it a through hike. It was about 22 miles on the Mid-State Trail. Um, which is a 92-mile trail that goes from the border of Rhode Island to the border of New Hampshire. Um, It's about 45 miles west of Boston. And uh, so I went with my friend Kristen Gardella, and our friend Trish joined us the first night. And uh, what we did was we stayed night one at the Sibley Farm tent sites um, with permission from the owners. And uh, all of the trail that we did goes right through the... Greater Worcester Land Trust. So um, the first day we did about 13 miles. We passed through uh, Moose Hill Shelter, Buck Hill Shelter, and ended up staying at Long Pond. Um, Kristen headed out the next day, and then Eric and I explored the Muddy Pond Shelter area, which is just absolutely gorgeous. It's a it's a shelter right on the pond. Um, you know, you might even hear the loons in that area. So, uh, it was really beautiful. It was raining for some of it, but we got pretty lucky and it really only rained while we were in the shelters. So, um, yeah, so it was a great hike. Yeah. That was a rainy, uh, rainy period that you were out there, but did you see anybody mm-hmm. else or is it just, I always, I know Nobby talked about the mid state trail as well. And my, I envision it just not being that crowded, but I don't really know. Yeah, no, I, I don't think we, gosh, I th- if we saw one or two people, that was it. I almost can't even remember. Um, but the highlight of the trip was we saw a moose at the end. Um, we were just walking down trail. We looked up, actually, we, we saw the moose um, droppings on the trail. They looked really fresh. And I said, I think those are fresh. And Kristen said, yeah, and pointed, said, there's the moose. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so it was, I don't know, maybe 50 feet in front of us, and she was just hanging out on trail. She looked maybe like a older juvenile adolescent, and uh, we ended up just bushwhacking around her. We kind of kept our distance, took some pictures and video, and then um, she eventually headed out. 
Wow, that's always like such an adrenaline rush to see the moose out there. Yeah, yeah, it was neat. It's my first. I've ne- I never ever see cool wildlife, so that was really neat. I loved it. Huh. Excellent. That's and nice. then you, yeah. you recently you got an update for us too because you were planning on doing a bunch of hiking, but you blew your ankle out doing some slacklining nonsense. What's go What's going on there? I did. Yeah, I was slacklining on Saturday and. Uh, just, I was doing great and I just came off the line. I landed wrong, turned my ankle, um, heard the crunch, unfortunately, which was pretty gross and knew I did something. So, you know, got some x-rays and, um, they found what's called an avulsion fracture, which is where, um, the ligament pulls so hard on the bone that it actually pulls a little fleck of bone away from the bone. So, uh, yeah, basically I just have to do a walking boot now for some weeks and allow the bone to fuse back into place. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I always wonder like <laughs> osteoporosis or anything like that. Like, how does that happen? It's so strange. <laughs> yeah, it's unusual injury. Ugh. Yeah, and for listeners that aren't aware, like slacklining, essentially what it is, as best I can tell, it's like a tightrope. You set up a tightrope, but it's like not high. It's like mm-hmm. maybe a couple of feet off the ground, and then it's not like it's not like uh, tensioned like a cable, like you envision like a regular tightrope. It's like got some give yeah. to it, and then I mm-hmm. think the deal is I don't know. Then you tell like it seems like you need to like it's a different kind of balancing where you've got to stay over the slack line, but it's like a thicker line, um, so it's not as difficult as a tightrope, I guess. But maybe it's more difficult because there's more give and more back and forth play on the line. I don't really know. Yeah, it it looks just like the ratchet straps you'd use on a truck, but maybe a little bit thicker. Um, It's just thinner than the width of your foot, so sort of the the big toe and the little toe can kind of hang off. But yeah, you you put some give into it. It depends. Um, The less give you put into it, the easier it is. And so um, experienced slackliners will put a little bit more slack into the line. And our, our slack was about, I say, 45 feet long which is the longest I've slacked. And so when you do that, you cause more left to right motion with the line. And so I think what happened was, you know, the line kicked out when I was coming off of it and I I sort of came off at an angle, which, you know, if I go back to it, which I may be really cautious about, I'll probably put a little less slack in it just to get back used to it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm not going to judge cause I have a bunch of dumb hobbies, but like, how does one get into doing slack lining? Like who, did you get convinced to do this by some friend of yours or did you always just want to do it? What's the game plan? Are you eventually going to go out like West and do it like at a very <laughs> high? Yeah. Well, what's the, what's the, what, what, what are you up to? Yeah. So I don't know if there was a game plan really, but when I started climbing, you, you sort of get into the culture and you see what all the other hiker climbers are doing. And I think a lot of them are into slacklining. So um, I have a very dear friend who was into it and he actually got me started and kind of gave me a few I don't know, lessons, basically just showed me how to do it. And um, from there, you just have to practice, practice. And um, yeah, I, it's one of those things I, I, um, should probably think again, if I do it, I really need to strengthen my ankles a lot more and, um, my lower legs and hips, all of it really, I think a little better base might've prevented injury. So I'm going to focus on that next time. Interesting. Wow. What about a shorter slack line? Does that, is, is that easier as well? 
yeah, it is easier because then you are, it's taught, it's more taught. So, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, rest up. How long are you going to be um, on your, off your, off your feet? I think the walking boot is a minimum two weeks. And so I'll be good because this is the most important time for healing. They say if I go really carefully for these couple weeks, there's a better chance that I'll have good long-term recovery. So um, in two weeks I follow up and then they'll let me know. And uh, yeah, that's it. I have a driving brace also because I drive standard. So they give you something that just forces your foot at 90 degrees and laces all the way up. This is like the worst time of the year. You got to do Alzheimer's <laughs> hike. You got to do Emily's hike. Like seek the. Oh pain. my god! There's just too much going on. I yeah, know. A, I had to cancel all of them. Forty-eight peaks. I had a summits and solidarity hike with the notch planned, and uh, oh, so you're not gonna be able to do any of those? No, I, I was supposed to do a Pemiverse with um, the notch with Serena and Cindy from Alzheimer's, and I'm not gonna be able to do that. So Emily's oh, no. hike is my new goal. It's ten weeks out, so. Okay, so you'll be back by the end of July then. I hope so. I'm supposed to be leading a team up Liberty for Emily's hike. So, yeah, that's the goal now is to get up that hike and, you know, I'll have a contingency, maybe a second lead just in case. Yeah. How are you processing huh. that? Like a stomp? I don't know what your perspective is, but uh, I would freak out. No, it's a great topic. Like, what do you do It's when, like, hiking is your life and all of a sudden you can't do it? That's tough. You just got to find new things to do and get preoccupied. But Lynn, you sound like somebody that's into all kinds of neat things. So I'm sure you'll keep yourself busy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a definite bummer not to be able to hike, but I do have a lot of different hobbies. So, you know, I'll be able to keep busy, but as far as the hikes go, you know, I can still provide trailhead support, trail magic. I can, for the, um, 48 peaks hike, my team is doing, uh, a jam hike so I can help with car spots and you know, things like that. So I'll happily be ground crew. Well, it looks like the uh, slack line taught you a lesson. Get it? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, no. (laughs) So good. Stop. (laughs) You were waiting for that one. (laughs) You're welcome. It's been a while. Hey, stop. I have uh, courtesy of our friend Jake. I have, I have a, a dad joke. Oh, go for it. When does a joke become a dad joke? When hmm. Mike says it? When it becomes a parent. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, That's really thanks, cool. thanks for sending that one, Jake. That was good. <laughs> Wordplay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So now, uh, segment of the week here, we are going to do a deep dive on Mount Shakur. So we've talked about Mount Shakur multiple times, but I don't think we've ever really done like a, a deep dive on this one. So Stomp, I know me and you have hiked Shakur a couple times. Lynn, Lynn have you been on Shakur before? I have not, but, um, I've done some others in the sandwich range. All right. Put the shame drop in there, Stomp. You got it. So this will be your chance to learn about Mount Shakura, Lynn. And then nice. the commitment is that once you get off your injury, you're going to hike somewhere in, in Shakura. All right. I'll make it an August hike. Yep. Friends yep. don't let friends not hike Shakura because it's one of the best mountains in New Hampshire. Yeah. So. Got it. Hey, let's plug uh, Valclus. Yes. Go ahead. Want ventilation and less sweat on your back when backpacking? Check out Valclus backpack ventilation gear. Back sweat sucks in all types of weather and hikes. It's uncomfortable and a risk factor causing your core temperature to fluctuate if it doesn't evaporate off your back. Man, is this the season or what? It's been nasty. 
Vaucluse's ultralight ventilation backpack frame is an accessory that installs in your favorite pack 18 liters to 55 liters, creating a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack. They're releasing their Generation 2 frame right now. It weighs only 4 ounces and handles the heaviest pack loads. So whether you're in hot or cold temps or have a pack with a curved frame, the ultralight ventilation backpack frame is a real game changer for ventilation and airflow. So visit vaucluscare.com to order a ventilation frame today. And don't forget to use the Slasher promo code uh, SLASR for a $10 discount. Yay! Nice. Excellent. Excellent. Pieces of eight. Pieces of eight. Slasher's hiking topic of the week. All right. So Chikora, where where to start, Stomp? No kidding. It's legendary. Legendary. I guess we'll start with the name. So we've talked about this before. Mount Chikora is um, named after an Indian chief. And the story goes that... Chikora was an Indian chief. He was friendly with the white men that were settled by the mountain. He left one of his kids to be watched by the Campbell family while he was off doing what Indian chiefs do. And unfortunately, the kid got into some poison that which was set aside to use for fox foxes that come around the the, the farm. Mm-hmm. The child died. Chikora came back home and was like, "You guys had one job to watch my kid." Don't let him die. And um, the kid died. So Chikora got mad. I think he like killed some of the family. The the locals got mad at him, chased him up the mountain. And eventually um, he decided that instead of getting captured by the white man, he would leap to his death on Chikora. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah, Yeah, pretty hardcore. Dramatic. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a couple of other versions of this legend. One is that Chikora simply fell from a high rock on the mountain while hunting. There is a second that um, is closer to what I just talked about, which is like uh, they were pursuing him after an Indian massacre, and it wasn't his kid. It was just like there was a, some sort of a massacre, and the Indians were responsible, and he leaped to his death. And then the third is that um, he was getting pursued by white. This is the one I like the most because it makes the most sense. The third was he was getting pursued by white settlers um, with guns, pitchforks, and torches. I just can picture that in my head like, you know, it's like a Disney movie. Um, And as Chikora reached the top, the settlers decided to torch the remaining trees. And in doing so, they burned and exposed the topsoil of the last... 1200 feet and as the <laughs> flames is, drew closer yeah. to Chikora he cursed the white man and leaped to his death yeah it's like the Disney version see this is closer to the one that I grew up with I, yeah. there's a, a fifth version I guess or whatever <laughs> so I grew up with a version that Chikora um, was coming up trail when they had the, the toll booth it was like a an ancient historic toll booth that you had to pay a toll to get up and over the road to get further north and he didn't pay the toll and that's why they chased him with the pitchforks and everything else yeah yeah. it's so interesting how these like stories i think that like the toll story is like this well the story of the brook trail is the reason the brook trail exists which is a trail that's on the 
um, the backside of Chikora <laughs> the re- is because local farmers didn't want to pay the toll, so they got mad, and they just went up there with axes and just cleared their own trail so they could get to the summit to, mm-hmm. to pick blueberries. So we talked about that like a while ago, and I have right. a feeling that like the story you just told is really based on those farmers not liking the toll, but it just got construed over the years with Chikora. So, um, right. so it's, it's interesting. We're going to actually, there's another story about Mount Chikora that is sort of a history thing that we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's what Mount Chikora, that's the origin of the Chikora name. And he was an Indian chief and um, seemingly he died a horrible death somehow. We don't know why, but we have like six different theories. Right. So pay your taxes. Pay yes. your tolls. <laughs> Pay your tolls and don't leave your kids hanging around some random people because then they're, they're not going to watch them like you will. But anyway, Mount Chikora is the easternmost summit of the Sandwich Range. Um, there's multiple peaks on Mount Chikora, but two of the peaks are in the 52 with the view. So there's the main summit and then there's, um, um, what is it, Middle Sister, I think is the other one that's on the yes. 52 with the view. And then there are two trails that are on the terrifying 25 the carter ledge trail which is a required trail and then there is an elective trail which is the brook trail so uh the terrifying 25 is a list that of the 25 most difficult and terrifying hikes in the white mountain so there's a there's a lot of challenges there um it is not a 4,000 footer, but like I said there's two peaks that that qualify for the 52 with a view and you can often easily do them together um the trail system is pretty vast. You know, there are, let me count here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven direct trails to get to the summit. And then there's a number of spur trails off of those. So starting at the 12 o'clock. So if we're looking at this northerly stomp, I'm going to start at like 12 o'clock and make my way around the mountain with mm-hmm. the trails. And then you can just sort of give your perspective on each trail as we go up or we go through. So the first one is the Champney Falls Trail. So do you want to talk a little bit about the Champney Falls Trail Stop? Yeah, sure. I think this is probably the one that's, um, you know, provides most accessibility to the mountain. Um, it's, what, three-ish miles or so, um, somewhat rooted, a little bit rocky, but compared to some of the other approaches, to the mountain, it's actually not a bad call for somebody that um, just wants to get up there uh, quick and easy with less of the scrambles and whatnot. So you're going to hit the scrambles anyway when you get to the summit, but I think that's a nice option. Yep. Yeah. Champney Falls Trail. Uh, trailhead is off of the Kank. It's a, it's a large parking area, so you can usually get um, parking there. There's a bathroom facilities, and a lot of times you'll see the... Um, the parking lot um, rangers there. What is that called again? The how? Well, I'm drawing a blank. The uh, the the trailhead stewards. Sorry, the oh, trailhead stewards are usually there in the summertime. Um, and then the lower part of Cham- Champney Falls, like even if you're not looking to do the full summit, it's a nice mile, mile and a half kid hike where you can go up and experience Champney Falls and Pitcher Falls. And there's all kinds of great views, um, even halfway up there. So it's a great way to approach the mountain. Agreed. Um, Middle Sister Trail is, um, located off of Route 16, the trailhead. It's kind of near where you were doing your, your DJ work stomp, right? Like White White Star or whatever that is? Oh, no. It's, um, yeah, White Lake. White Lake, yeah. It's kind of yeah, near White 
Lake State Park. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the approach there. Um, like you had mentioned, I think Middle Sister is on one of the more challenging uh, lists. And um, again, it's very ledgy, more scrambles, a little bit more difficult as compared to Champney. Um, I think it does that head down? Oh, it's White Ledge. That's right. Okay, I was thinking Piper. Yeah, so White Ledge Trailhead is like a um it's like a campground. They've got about six spots for like day hikers to park in, but a lot of the, a lot of times people don't go that way. And mm-hmm. you can go up Middle Sister Trail, which goes to the right and comes up the backside of Middle Sister, or you can take the other trail that's connected to White Ledge, which is Carter Ledge. Carter Ledge is on the 52, is on the uh, terrifying 25 and is the trail that is very open ledge and yeah. um, just keeps going on and steep on. Steep slabs. Like, yeah, it's got steep slabs and it's 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 pretty challenging, but it's got amazing views all the way. It sort of like directly goes north through, um, through the notch so you can see like Mount Washington from Carter Ledge, which is pretty is, amazing. Isn't there a, a chimney on that trail as well? that you have to climb sort of like there's, East Osceola there's like not a chimney but there's this one section that you go over that's sort of like a steep drop that you have to just sort of watch your footing on matter of fact I posted gotcha. a reel on our Instagram page that has uh, me and my friend going up that section okay so um, and then moving to the sort of like four or five o'clock <laughs> um, section of Mount Chakora is the Piper Trail this is the most common approach that people take. So this, this trailhead is off of Route 16, right north of Tamworth. And uh, plenty of parking there, but you do want to get there early on a weekend because it does fill up and there's really no overflow options because it's a private road. It's um, the most popular, but I think it's more difficult than Champney, correct? Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. It's it's, okay, it's longer. It's longer, um, but I'll, we'll talk a little bit about that once I get okay. into the um, search and rescue statistics because uh, it's an interesting like delineation uh, between the Piper Trail and the Champney Falls Trail and specifically like the types of injuries that we see there. Okay. Um, the next one is the Hammond Trail, which is um, not as well traveled, so it does have its own trailhead, or you can cut over from Piper. You can also get to Carter Ledge from Piper as well. So it's pretty common that people will take Carter Ledge via Piper when they do do it. So I think the Hammond Trail, I've been on that, but mostly just for like, I think some of the decora running uh, races that I've done there. Um, And then the last two trails are the Liberty Trail, which takes you up um, along the Jim Liberty Cavern cabin. Super cool. (laughs) Yeah. It's a neat one. It's a good trail. And then the Brook Trail, which is a uh, steep, rugged trail that um, you start off through the the lower forest and then it it brings you up to sort of open above tree line, scrambling, um, loose rock. It's a it's a tough trail, and you can be pretty pretty exposed to the sun later in the day as well. A um, couple of other so ultimately you've got like seven trails. The most common ones are Champney Falls and Piper Trail, and then you know I would recommend people go up Carter Ledge over Piper Trail just for the uh, the views, and then the rest of the trails. You know they're 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 nice. You've got some other approaches from from the Beeline Trail and the Bulls Trail that are not direct 
to the summit, but they're, they're trails that are commonly used in that area, particularly like you'll find whenever there are search and rescue events. A lot of times people will end up on the beeline of the Bulls Trail because they went the wrong way. Rut row. Rut row. Okay. Um, and then Stomp, your opinion on the best way to hike for newer hikers. I think you sort of said this already, but like you, you think Champney Falls would be the way to go. I think so. Yeah, I think it's more direct, uh, straight shot up, nice little spurs with waterfalls to keep kids sort of interested. Um, do you cover, isn't there a trail on the mountain that is partially paved? Or is that just Not folklore? that I'm aware of. I think the Piper Trail is generally like, um, it's kind of graded yeah. nicely for about a quarter mile or so, but there's nothing paved that I'm aware of. Okay, because when I was growing up and we, when we were choosing trails to uh, get to the summit, there was one option back in the day that was partially paved at the lower portions. And I was curious what that was. So I'll do some more research and find out, but that could be an option for new hikers. If that's true. Could be, could be. Um, and I would say that, um, you know, from my perspective, you know, I definitely, like I said, the Carter lead trail for me is, is the best one. Um, but as far as like camping options and water and things like that, typically water sources are pretty easy to come by, uh, you know, like 2,500 feet or below. And then after that, there's not a lot of options. Um, but as far as camping goes, you've got the Jim Liberty cabin, cabin, which is um, on the Liberty Trail. It's just sort of like um, south west of the summit and then you've got Camp Panacook Shelter which is off of I think the Piper Trail um, and I sh- we should talk a little bit about the summit stomp because I think it's pretty common to get above tree line on Chikora and it's not exactly especially if you're coming over from the Piper Trail or Champney um, it's not simple to just figure out which way to go above tree line and, and right. find you because you have to wrap around the summit so there is a fair amount of navigation involved in it. For sure. Yeah, we get pay attention. Yep. Yeah. But it's a, um, it, there is a chimney at the very end that you have to make your way up. And then when you do get to the summit, you can spend a lot of time sort of looking around in the summit because there's dates carved into the rock. And I think there's some dates, I think, that go back into the early 1900s and maybe late 1800s, so that I, if I recall correctly. Okay. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. I'm doing some research on Jim Liberty. Oh, okay. So yeah. I'm excited. Stumps. I'm taking notes. This is yep. this going to be a good hike. Yeah. yeah. So a couple of other things here. So this is a popular day hike. It's easily accessible. It's one of the most common places where we see search and rescue calls. So there's been 30 search and rescue calls in the last four years. And these search and rescue calls, you can you can sort of partition them out in two specific ways. Typically, they're either on Champney Falls or they're on um, the Piper Trail. There's a few or, or or some of the surrounding trails. So the way that the search and rescue calls tend to work is that if somebody is calling from the Champney Falls Trail, it's almost 100% of the time a lower leg injury. And the reason why that happens is, is that the Champney Falls Trail has sections above the falls that are essentially like bare rock that tend to stay wet. They don't get a lot of sun and it's very slippery. And I think people Mm -hmm. tend to get in trouble there and around the falls. And then the other calls that we see, so if it's a lower leg injury, typically it's Champney Falls. 
most of the other calls with a couple of exceptions are from people getting lost or fatigue related issues. It's very common for people to come up through the Piper trail and then they, they go to the summit and then they get lost because they took the wrong trail. So people end up down in like, um, the beeline trail or the bulls trail. So you see that quite a bit with like younger college students from the Boston area come up and get in trouble. Um, so, and I know Stomp is furiously researching Jim Liberty here where we're talking. Well, yeah, I think I found the the root of my uh, my road, my paved road thing. Actually, it's like the, the history of Jim Liberty Cavern. Um, the trail was previously the Chikora Mountain Road, which led to a logging camp that later became Peak House Hotel in 1892. And um, I think that may be the early lower portions of that trail that are more roadish, but a uh, very interesting uh, history about that. Um, the Peak House Hotel in 1892, people paid money just to go visit yep. just below the summit. And it was destroyed by wind in 1915. And then it was replaced in 1924 by a cabin. And that was also later damaged. And then 1934, Jim Liberty Cabin um, was established that we see today. Yep. Yeah. And I would say that, um, you know, there's a deep history there. Um, one of the other things I'd call out about Chikora is that it's probably one of the best summits for a sunrise hike. Uh, sure. So Stomp and I have done that before. I, anytime anybody says, what's the best sunrise hike, I always recommend Chikora. Hmm. Agreed. Could be a little chilly though. You get a stiff a little, wind. <laughs> can be a little chilly. Um, one other thing is that there is a crossing trail by the name of the Weedemo Trail. Um, and Weedemo is based on a historical figure who was known as she was the daughter of Passa Conway. She was married to a chief of the Saugus tribe, made famous by John Greenleaf Whittier, who was a famous poet who actually is, um, you know, he's from my town, Amesbury. He wrote a very long, extensive poem on her. As things go with history, like essentially like Whittier conflated Weedemo as the uh, the person that married this certain Saugus um, tribe. But Weedemo was actually uh, a female chief of the Wampanoag tribe. She was not Penacook, so it got a little... Uh, confused there, but Whittier, he basically just used her as the uh, the daughter of the great Indian chief Passa Conway, uh, but actually she was an Indian queen uh, that had, I guess the, the actual bride's name was Wanuches, which is less, I guess, appealing than Weedemo, so he used that name instead in his poem. The historical Weedemo was a female chief, but uh, like I said, not of the Pentecooks, but of the Wampanoag uh, out of Rhode Island and Southeast Massachusetts. Tradition says that she had six husbands at different times, which is the six husbands trail in the Great Gulf that we talked about last time. The first of who um, was her hu- was her husband, Wamsuda, who again has a, has a trail named after him in the Great Gulf. Uh, the brother of Metacomet and later um, better known as King Philip, whose uprising against the colonists was called King Philip's War. So Wiedemo fought alongside her brother-in-law and died by drowning. Um, she was crossing a, liver, a river fleeing, fleeing a militia in 1676, right before King Philip himself was killed. So 
um, over time, these legends just sort of intermingled. And, you know, it's a good example of sort of the way things happen with the white men uh, mixing up details of these historical people. And essentially, Pasa Conway's daughter was not Weedemo, it was some other person, but, you know, he just used Weedemo as the daughter of Pasa Conway in his story, and then it stuck historically. So you've got the Weedemo Trail, and then you've got all those trail names in the Great Gulf that were named after her as well. Hmm. <laughs> Weedemo. Weedemo. So a lot of history in these trail names. That's uh, so fascinating to me. It was interesting crossover uh, from what you were saying and the Mid-State Trail, because Back in the, I think it said late 19th century and early 20th century, there was a hotel on top of, I think it was Mount Watadic, which also succumbed to fire damage and was, was lost and destroyed. Yeah, a lot of those hotels and those, those old summit hotels were like just wiped out because of fire. Mm-hmm. So, very good. Very good stomp. So, we got a couple of sponsors, then we're going to get into the news. Hike to Fight Alzheimer's with 48 Peaks, a fundraising and awareness event for the Alzheimer's Association. Join 450 plus hikers this summer as we hike New Hampshire's 4,000 footers or create your own hiking adventure from a 52 with a view to a Prezi Traverse or climb your favorite mountain. Together, we will paint the mountains purple and raise vital funding to advance the care, support, and research efforts of the Alzheimer's Association. Visit alts.org right slash 48 peaks, alz.org right slash the number 48 peaks to learn more. And then base late coasters. Base Slate Coasters create unique, beautiful, functional, and expertly laser-engraved coasters with topographic maps of the 4,000-footers of New Hampshire and more. These coasters are handmade on Cape Cod from slate quarried in the U.S. and provide a durable and heat-resistant surface for your drinks. Each coaster features intricate detailing of any mountain topography for the location of your choice. Base Lake Coasters will work with you on your custom hand-designed coasters for any street or topographic map. Let's just say anywhere on Earth or beyond. Visit baselate.com today to explore a full range of topographic map coasters and use the code SLASHER10, S-L-A-S-R-10 at checkout for 10% off of your first order. Nice. Very good stomp. So, and did we, did you put in the, into the Alzheimer's um, when they're having the reckless party? That's June 10th from three o'clock until 10 o'clock. So it's a post party and uh, there'll be food raffles and a DJ, some random weirdo DJ is going to be there. <laughs> um, so yeah, June 10th at reckless at the Pine House. And you're, you're doing the DJ work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. I'll be there at three. All right. If not a little earlier. I'll try to make it. <laughs> yeah, it should be a nice time. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So uh, are we ready to do recent search and rescue news? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's go.
excellent. So uh, we're doing national and international stuff here. So mountain rescue team saves tired dog stuck on scaffold pike in Lake District after refusing to walk back down. So this is in England. The dog... Um, Became an unlikely casualty after uh, the pooch refused to walk back down England's highest peak. So luckily the dog was saved by a mountain rescue team. So Keswick Mountain Rescue Team was called to Scaffold Pike on Saturday, May 13th after the dog became injured and exhausted. So the tired pup was stuck at a great hike and was ref- or a great height and was refusing to move. So the mountain rescue <laughs> team members climbed towards Eskos in the Lake District and encouraged the dog's owner to descend towards them. Um, rescue team met the dog and its owner at uh, Grains Hill, where the large dog was carried down 3,200 feet, um, the 3,200 foot mountain on a stretcher. So the dog remained cool, calm, and positively regal throughout the journey, according to a spokesman for the rescue team. So, okay, there's no picture of the dog, unfortunately. Yeah, regal. It's so cool. In a stoke litter. Different culture. Yeah. Well, good for the dog. So the dog is rescued. Um, So in England, they do save their dogs. Unlike New Hampshire, we don't uh, we don't send our rescue teams out for dogs. So that's right. Yep. Um, next up, 10 missing hikers rescued from California Canyon thanks to Apple SOS feature. So, uh, California search and rescue team came to the aid of 10 missing hikers in the last chance area of the upper Ojai Canyon thanks to an Apple emergency feature. So, <clears throat> Ventura County Sheriff's Office um, and OSHA search and rescue team were first alerted to the hikers around 8 p.m. local time. The hikers who were at the Santa Paula Canyon had used Apple's emergency SOS feature on an iPhone to send a text message which contained what search and rescue teams described as valuable information, including their possible location. So the SOS feature enables your iPhone to call a local emergency number and share location information. Some iPhone models, this feature works via satellite to text emergency services even when the phone is not connected to cellular or Wi-Fi. Um, guardians for the hikers so it sounds like these were young kids uh, who were late to the return also contacted sheriff's deputies to report the subjects as missing and possibly in need of assistance so yeah it looks like from the pictures this is younger people Uh, Mm -hmm. it's a six mile hike in Ventura County with an elevation gain of more than 3700 feet rugged and difficult terrain the last chance portion of the canyon is a trail that connects Santa Paul Canyon section to another hiking path um, and the last chance trail is about seven miles long. So about 13 members of the SAR team, uh, were activated and conditions were not ideal. Low visibility, stream crossings, heavy rain, damage trails. So, uh, got there around 1115 and by 240, the rescue teams and the hikers reached the end of the trailhead. So nobody needed medical attention and the kids got a good story to tell for the rest of their lives. Good, good, good. Sorry, I'm giggling here. I'm, I'm doing some more reading about that dog. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny when I, one time I was hiking Shakora and I got down like maybe about a half a mile to the end of the trail and I was, I caught up to this guy that was carrying his golden retriever on his back yeah. and I was like, oh, can I help you? He was kind of close to the trailhead. So like, I think I carried his backpack for like a little distance 
and he was carrying uh-huh. the dog over his shoulder. I mean, it was a big golden retriever. It's like 60 pounds. And the guy, the golden retriever is looking at me and I'm like, this golden retriever doesn't look like he's distressed at all. He looked happy as could be. And we get to the car and the guy really didn't want to talk about details and I didn't want to push him. I didn't want to judge, but I was judging. Um, (laughs) He puts the dog down. He gets the, you know, the, the hatchback of his car open um, gives the dog some water and then the dog just jumps up into the hatchback and is just like sitting there happy as could be. So I don't yeah. know if the dog was in distress or if the dog was just done and was like, you're going to carry me the rest of the way. <laughs> Too funny. It's great. But anyway, the dog is uh, 77 pounds if you convert wow. the uh, kgs. But um, if you look up the definition of regal, it's of or relating to a monarch or royal or belonging to or befitting a monarch. (laughs) I just pictured this dog on this litter. Like, hello. (laughs) Interesting. Um, I'm looking right now, stop with this next story to see if there's any update, but there was a plane crash around May 1st in Columbia was okay. seven people on the plane, three adults, four children. Children were like two teenagers, like an eight-year-old and an 11-month-old. And they've been missing since May 11th. So they found the plane crash site and they uh, found the three adults that were dead. Uh, but the okay. four children were missing. So they thought that the children might have gone into the jungle and they've been looking for them for the last two weeks. Yesterday, there was a report that the four kids were found alive in the jungle after 17 days. Right. Uh, but What? I see yeah, that. Wow. Yeah. But then as quickly as that story came out, so the president of Columbia had um, tweeted it out. Within an, uh, less than a day, he rescinded the tweet and said that um, it's unclear whether they actually did find the children. So there's a lot of confusion here, routers and BBC. Um, people are trying to figure out what the hell's going on here. So the latest headline I've got is confusion as four kids missing after plane crash in Columbia declared to be found alive is now walked back. And it's unclear what the hell's going on. So I don't know what's happening That's- here. As of now, like they wow. haven't found the kids. Yeah, search teams are using dogs um, to find, you know, they, they, I guess they came across items like a drinking bottle, pair of scissors, hair tie. So they have some idea that the kids may be alive. Um, they also found an improvised shelter made from sticks and branches. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. I wonder why they would... Yeah, they could be wandering deeper into the jungle as they're trying to get out or find uh, their way. Yeah, it's interesting oh. that like they would get it would get all the way up to the president of Colombia without confirmation, and he's sending out tweets saying they found him, and now let's now he's got to yeah. like reverse it and say sorry, made a mistake. Huh? Sketchy. Wow, what a strange story. Very sketchy. So that was a that was a day ago. That was seven um, hours ago. Yesterday, the news reports came out that they found the kids, and then this morning they walked it back and said, no, they haven't. Yeah, right. So we'll keep an eye on that story and update. Huh, okay. Uh, This next one is uh, two local stories this week. So injured hiker carried down Amanusik Ravine Trail. 
Uh, this one is not good. So Saturday, 420 fishing game, notified of a hiker with a lower leg injury on the Emanusa Ravine Trail. 911 call came in. Hiker was at a location above Gem Pool, approximately 1.6 miles from the base station parking lot. Yeah. Unable to hike down or on her own power, so a rescue response was initiated. Um, PEMI search and rescue, Androscoggin search and rescue, Twin Mountain Fire Department, and conservation officers responded to the call and hiked in with a rescue litter. 28 year old female hiker from Cambridge had been hiking up the trail with a friend with the intention of reaching Lake of the Clouds Hut, then hiking back down the same trail. At approximately 4 p.m. while still ascending, she slipped on the trail, resulting in her injury. While attempting to descend, she slipped again on an icy stretch of trail, <coughs> excuse me, resulting in her injured, injuring her other leg. So she's got two injured legs. Yeah. Um, she was placed in a litter once they arrived and carried down the trail. She was back at the lot at 9.30. She was assessed by Twin Mountain Ambulance, but declined transportation and opted to seek medical treatment elsewhere. Sure. This was this this lady's first hike in the White Mountains. She did not have mm. proper footwear for hiking these trails and was not prepared for the snow and icy conditions that exist in the upper elevations. This lack of preparedness was the primary contributing factor in this need for a rescue response. So, the press officers did not do her any favors. <laughs> not happy. Right. I mean, just a reminder, it, today, it's um, May 18th. Um, Frank, uh, Liberty and um, Lafayette were covered in, in white. <laughs> it's, it was snowing all day yesterday. So it's yep. it's crazy up there right now. It's very delayed spring. Isn't yeah. uh, Lakes of the Clouds Hut closed right now? Yeah. I wonder if they knew that it was actually closed or if they were just going to view it and turn around. It sounded like they were just doing a day hike and, and they were going to go up there and then turn around. But I mean, they started way too late to begin with and then they don't have experience. They picked the worst trail. You know, Amanusik's like a, it's not going to, it doesn't get a lot of sun. So it's, it's, it's got monorail and she had, it doesn't sound like she had any spikes on. So it was going to be a disaster no matter what. Right. Shame. Um, but speaking of disaster, let's go to Old Bridal Trail. Um, <laughs> May 13th, fishing game was notified of an injured hiker uh, 1.1 miles up the Old Bridal Path in Franconia. 31-year-old gentleman from St. Augustine, Florida. I was just down in St. Augustine's, Florida. Like when I was in Florida, we toured Flagler College. So uh, beautiful area. There's no mountains there, though. Um, this gentleman was hiking with a companion when he suffered a lower leg injury and could no longer continue. Um, he could no longer continue to descend. He was he was doing the loop. Um, so several good Samaritan hikers stopped to assist this gentleman and ultimately aided him in his carryout effort. So rescuers reached him at about 9.50, so about an hour and a half after he called and loaded him up to a litter to be carried down the trailhead. The rescue party consisted of volunteers from Pemi Search and Rescue, the Good Samaritan Hikers, and conservation officers from the Hampshire Fishing Game. Um, they reached a trailhead with the gentleman around midnight without any further incident. So said the um, gentleman was prepared for the hike and followed a realistic plan until the injury. So 
all good. Uh, and I saw some of the fo- some of the Good Samaritan hikers or frequent hikers that you see posting on the four thousand footer list, and they they were pretty excited <laughs> to be involved in it. So good for them. Well, once again, the comments under this uh, post are just hilarious. Like some oh, people yeah. are like just brutal, and some are realistic, and uh, it's well worth reading. Yeah. Somebody writes, <laughs> "Florida hiking in the dark." <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. come on then somebody else wrote glad it went well expensive trip from florida <laughs> yeah well i always assume that like if people are here from florida like that they i never assume anybody actually like grew up in florida i always assume that they like they're from new england but they live they moved to florida and they're just back but i don't know if i'm yeah. right or wrong on that but a lot of a lot of comments about the hike safe card though so that's that program is really sticking in yep. new hampshire for sure mm-hmm. yeah which is good to see. Yep. Get Anywho. your hike safe card and then keep a lookout for the, um, the window clingy things that we're going to be putting up on our, um, putting up on our, our website and the show notes and all that fun stuff. So yeah. you can make sure that your window doesn't get smashed this summer. Yep. Yeah. Good Excellent. call. So anything else stop? No, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. Anything else, Lynn, you want to plug anything? Uh, no, that's it, I guess. It just, you know, Emily's hike coming up on the 29th of July. Yep, yep. We're looking forward to that. And um, if you're going to slack line, slack line safely. Slack yes. line over a, a pool of water. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I would lay in, I would love to see Smee. Me and Stomp should do like a slack line competition to see who like could go the farthest on a slack yeah, line. Yeah, like, like on Indian Leap or something crazy with a 50 foot drop into a water basin. That's yeah, what I want to do. That'd be fun. <laughs> Either that we could do like maybe we'll do something a little like we'll do the log roll you know the lumberjacks they do the spinning on the log and we'll <laughs> yeah. see who yeah. can fall off <laughs> I'll record it <laughs> yes we can do that <laughs> okay so we'll see you at episode 107 next week alright bye Thanks. pieces of eight pieces of eight thank you for listening if you enjoyed the show you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words that describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.